0: everyone and welcome to the Friday, February 21st, 2020 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week on the podcast, the Iowa Democrats hire a new leader, U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley defends his impeachment vote, and Michael Bloomberg takes center stage, or perhaps it was more center of the firing circle, in the Democratic presidential debate. <laughs> Hello everyone, I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for Lee Enterprise's with me today are Brett Hayworth of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Aaron. We have Amy Rivers of the waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy.
1: Good morning, Aaron.
0: And finally, Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. And as a reminder, you can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to the On Iowa Politics podcast on iTunes and Stitcher. First up this week, the latest on the caucus chaos. Yes, that is still a thing. Uh, the caucus re-canvas has now become a recount as the Iowa Democratic Party agreed to perform partial recounts at the request of the Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg campaign. Why do those campaigns want a recount? Because as, the, as they currently stand, the results are ridiculously close. Like, stupid close. According to the latest results, which were tweaked after the re Buttigieg earned 563.207 state delegate equivalents and Sanders 563.127. That's incredible. It's a difference of four thousandths of one percent. I'm going to say that again for everybody. According to the results, as filed, Keith Buttigieg won the Iowa caucuses over Bernie Sanders by four one thousandths of one percent. My goodness. Remind, remember four years ago when Hillary Clinton beat Sanders by the historically slim margin of three-tenths of one percent? So quaint. Simpler times. <laughs> Andy, the other issue that has kept the caucus in the news is the state of the Iowa Democrat Party leadership. Former state chairman Troy Price resigned in the wake of the caucus results reporting mess. And this past weekend, the state central committee elected Mark Smith as interim leader. Smith is the state legislator from Marshalltown and former Iowa House Minority Leader, and he will serve as the state party chairman through the November elections. And even just as intern chairman, Smith will have a lot on his plate. He has to see through the investigation into what went wrong with this year's caucuses, lead Iowa, grant, lead Iowa Democrats through this fall's election, in which there is much at stake, including a U.S. Senate seat, two to four U.S. House seats and control of the Iowa House, and oh by the way, there's that little matter of having to fight even harder than ever now to keep Iowa's caucuses first in the nation. Todd, giving that remarkable agenda, is Mark Smith the right man for that big job?
2: Well, that's you know, I don't I don't know that there's that anyone is the right person for a job that large, but that's you know, he's <laughs> he's obviously was a legislative leader, led a caucus, he's an experienced lawmaker, he's been in politics for a while. So I suppose he's as, as you know, as good a pick as any uh but yeah i mean it's it's daunting especially given the fact that you know the democrats didn't win the gov- governorship in 2018 and they made some gains in congress but didn't take control of any, either chamber of the legislature the hope is that can happen now and if it doesn't uh the party's going to be sort of cast into the wilderness as they say and, and and that's probably job one is making sure that doesn't happen along with this just this national fiasco that continues to to play out and and give the state a black eye so it's you know it's one of those great part-time jobs that you you really love to have
0: <laughs> uh yeah and, and so how looking at that caucus uh situation and and uh um Iowa is on the defense like it's never been before, um, despite having to do this battle every four years. How difficult, Todd, uh, will that fight be for Smith to keep Iowa Democrats first? And is there anything he can, he and the state party can do to repair uh, the party's image and give himself a chance to stay in that leadoff position?
2: Yeah, there. I mean, there are things that they can do. Uh, I mean, one one factor out of their control is the ne- is the Nevada caucus this weekend. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. If that goes smoothly, uh, maybe we can just Iowa can just do what Nevada did next time, which is ironic considering I think it was Iowans that went out to try to teach Nevada how to caucus a few years ago. So maybe they can return the favor. Uh, you know, he can. I mean, they can, you know, they're going to carry out this this investigation, this, you know, this look at what happened, you know, that that's going to be a factor. Uh, Certainly, how the elections come out is, are going to be a factor. If, if Iowa looks more like a purple swing state, like it used to look, and the Democrats maybe uh, take control of the House, the state legislature, maybe the Democratic nominee wins Iowa, or comes at least a lot closer than they did last time. If they hold those congressional seats, maybe pick up a seat, you know it's, you know, in, if, if Steve King gets you know wins nomination and 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 that could be an interesting battle. So if things go well for Iowa Democrats in November, then that strengthens their argument that this is a good place for the co- for the presidential campaign to start. Still, uh, and, and you know if, if 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 Donald Trump is defeated in November, then that that sort of puts off. The, the, the question as to whether Iowa will remain first in the Democratic calendar and Democrats will be feeling a lot better if the presidential process that started with Iowa ends in victory. So there are things that the state party can do. There are things that Iowa Democrats can do. But then some of these things are are out of their control nationally. But, yeah, there's just a lot of questions. I don't think it's I don't think we really know exactly, uh, you know, whether Iowa is going to be first next time or or not. There's just there's a lot of unanswered questions.
0: Yeah, and to just add one more to that, Todd, you said if Democrats win, that at least puts off the competitive caucuses, maybe allows Ida of the first, but also depends on which Democrat wins, right? Because if it's Bernie Sanders, he hasn't been a huge fan of the caucuses.
2: Yeah, that's true. And, you know, it's, uh, and, he, and he's actually, you know, given the split in the party, you could imagine a scenario where there might be primary challengers to him after a, a first term that, when you you know you make big big nah, promises nah. like Bernie's making and those things don't happen and you know who knows but uh, yeah I mean that that nah. would certainly be a a wild card.
0: Yep yeah, yeah. All right. Well, moving on from the caucuses, but staying with the presidential candidates. And I have to ask, did we miss them here in Iowa? You don't have to answer now. Just think about that. We wanted to talk briefly about the latest debate. Uh, this one was in Nevada, just ahead of their caucuses. And by the way, good luck on reporting your results, folks down there in Nevada. We're all pulling for you here in Iowa. I am uh, the perfect person to ask for everyone's reaction to this debate. And it's not because I'm some great questioner, but because I didn't watch it, so I couldn't comment on it. So I'm in the perfect seat here. Yeah, I was at my daughter's rehearsal for her children's theater production of Oklahoma. Uh, shameless plug, if you're in the central Iowa area, come out to Altoona <laughs> this weekend, folks, and see a great show. <laughs> so, back to the state. Let's just, let's just go real quickly around the table and get some quick reactions. Uh, what, what stood out to, to y'all and whatever
1: you're able to catch? Amy? Well, Warren going hard on Bloomberg was fun. I think pretty much everyone couldn't wait to, to really have their shot at him, could they?
0: And how did he stand up to that, Amy? I, I, I saw uh, from what news I could consume, uh, folks thought that he didn't seem maybe as prepared as he should have been for that.
1: Oh, I don't know why. You know, I was sort of talking with that about my friends. It just seemed like... It, it, is he surrounded by yes-men, and they didn't prepare him for super obvious questions that he was going to be asked about his record and his personal life? And I don't really know what happened, but he really did not seem like he was ready for those questions.
0: Yeah, interesting. Todd, what stood out to you?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I, I think uh, Bloomberg did really well in the heavily edited video version of the debate that his campaign put out
3: afterwards.
2: He was was just, he was absolutely, he was actually breathtaking in that. Uh, Yeah, I mean Warren, Warren handled him rather roughly and I think, I don't know that she's breathed life back into her campaign. She was sort of faltering. This got some attention. It turned some people's heads. I'll I'll be interested to see what happens in Nevada if maybe she gets a little bit of a, a, a bump like Amy Klobuchar did in her New Hampshire debate, uh, a couple weeks ago. But, uh, I think probably the story of this is that while everybody was, you know, uh, shooting the very rich fish in a barrel, uh, Mike Mike Bloomberg, Bernie, Bernie Sanders sort of, he took some criticism, but he kind of emerged from that unscathed. And, you know, he is sort of the front runner and the person who looks to be on track to, to maybe win this thing. So the fact that he, was able to escape from that debate without really any damage to his campaign has probably made him the winner even though he he wasn't getting all the attention for landing the punches that Warren was.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's such a good point, Todd. And I've seen someone else um, mention that how it's interesting that Bloomberg got in this thing uh, uh, supposedly to to help take down Sanders, and in many ways he's he's probably helping him. And, and you just listed one right there, uh, Brad. How
4: about you? What what you uh, what were you able to take away from the debate? Yeah, and I, I don't know. Maybe I've been consuming too much sports news at the same time. But I, I went in wondering or watching to see if there would be any like campaign aides off on the side that would be banging on trash cans um, to telegraph like what kind of question might might be coming and I, I, I didn't pick up on any of that so there's no, no buzzers seem to be going off on their chests underneath their shirts
3: for what what
4: type of question was coming but um one one thing I noticed was in the aftermath was I guess it's kind of a summary 20 20 million people watched this so it was the most Watch debate of of the cycle, and I guess you know to me that indicates people are maybe you know beyond us here in Iowa, across America, Americans are you know across the states are more ready to kind of dig in and decide now that it's more a more wildly number of candidates. Uh, it was six, right? The other night, I think six. So, but yeah, it was definitely you know the other five tackling Bloomberg and um you know I, I like with Amy, what Amy said, he seemed somewhat unprepared and. I guess more than anything, this kind of announces a shift or shows a shift of what's happening in the campaign because Bloomberg was always, you know, just running ads in, in all these states here before, and now it's he's, you know, on the stage with, with fellow candidates, and now he's out doing campaign events where he's getting pushback from, you know, questioners and then obviously fellow candidates. So, we're, you know, we're obviously heading in a different direction here as we get into toward the end of February. Yeah. One, yeah one, I'm other a thing, of sorry, one of the things. Sorry. Part, go ahead. No, yeah. Go ahead. But. This, this is probably a meaningless aside, but um, does probably mean a time. But it was kind of wincing to see. But Amy Klobuchar had failed to um, know the name of the Mexican president um, on the campaign trail a few days ago, and then she also was asked about that and and had to look down at her notes to to come up with the name, and that that was again kind of a wincing moment to to have seen. <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: didn't know the name of
4: the president of Mexico okay. but I no. <laughs> full full disclosure. Full disclosure in case in case Aaron was gonna give me a follow up I had to I had I wrote it down here in my notes so in just in case it came at me, because I, I didn't know it either, so full disclosure.
3: <laughs>
4: <laughs> I was I was not
0: uh, because I also wouldn't have been able to say it. But on the other hand I'm okay. not running for president, so not okay. not, not this year anyways. I am in Iowa a lot, so the opportunity is always there. Um, <laughs> Brett, I wanted to uh, follow up. You, you, we talked a lot about Bloomberg and this being his first debate, um, but he also, uh, some old video surfaced of him. And uh, uh, boy, talk about a guy skipping Iowa. Um, a, not only did he not skip by it with this video, probably didn't make him a lot of new friends here. Um, the, he was quoted in a 2016 video. Um, describing um, farmers and saying you dig a hole you put a seed in you put dirt on top you add water, up comes corn you can learn that Uh, obviously Republicans feasted upon that uh, quote and even some uh, Democrats um, the Bloomberg campaign insists the comment was taken out of context Uh, but it doesn't matter in Iowa because the race has moved on and Bloomberg didn't compete here anyway um, but is this the type of comment that could be an issue with him, uh, uh, for Democrats who want to win Midwest, Midwest toss up States like Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, I guess Pennsylvania's not Midwest,
4: but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if it has, you know, super big, strong legs, you know, but, but I think it could, I, I will say, I think this was Tuesday. This came out. I, I had just heard this as I was leaving work for the day and I went to this uh, workout place uh, in the evening um, and and I was surprised to just overhear two women uh, in, in my vicinity that were talking about it you know this is, it had just been reported and mm. you know this is I live in a, a small rural town here and and uh, there are women in like their 30s and 40s were talking about it and they had the tone of like you know how insulting can, can you believe this and you know they really did not like it you know very insulting to farmers is how they're we're saying. So, I mean, I could see what it had, would have impact in a Midwest state like, you know, an adjacent state like Wisconsin that has, some you know, a farm economy. But um, yeah. I, I think it also could have, like, in down, in non-presidential contests, like down tickets, um, even like the, the election of Joni Ernst, you know, the Republican who ran for re-election and, you know, when she rose, you know, she was relatively unknown in 2013 and 14. She was, she kind of pitched that rural Iowa bona fides, I guess, and you know, I could see why Republicans will point to this. Is you know, here's another example of an out of touch type Democrat, and you know, pin that on, try to pin the Bloomberg's line onto other onto other Democrats in the field. So, um, one more thing on that. I just yesterday at Quindelaine, I talked to Mike Frank, and he's one of the four uh, Democrats who are running uh, for the for the U.S. Senate seat, and he's, he's a guy from Sioux City, and he said the Bloomberg line was, you know, certainly not helpful, and you know that. Any, yeah, anyone that yeah. knows anything about farming farming it knows that's much more than that but you know it, that it could it could have some impact yeah yeah and your your example is a really
0: good point too Brett. And, and can you think about that on the other side of her first race when Bruce Braley made the um, right. Uh, right. high right. farmer comment about Chuck Grassley being the right. next chair to just share yep and the impact that can have on a race good point Right. All right, finally this week, uh, we get away from the caucuses and the presidential primary. Yes, that is possible, folks. And we talk about U.S. Senator Chuck Grassley, who was back in Iowa this past week and at a Cedar Valley town hall. He was asked to explain his decision to vote against the impeachment of President Donald Trump. Amy was at that meeting, fortunately for us, so we get to talk about that now. Amy. uh <laughs> Tell us what Chuck Grassley said about that boat and, and I'm even more interested to hear what the folks in the room, um, how they reacted to that explanation.
1: Well, you know, of course he voted not guilty, voted to acquit, which was in line with all the other Republicans, minus Mitt Romney. And so I think people sort of knew that that he was going to do that and that he did that. And and it it didn't really have much of an effect on these uh, noontime Rotarians that they're meeting. Um, And, you know, he explained it by couching in historical impeachments, you know, "Here's, here's what Nixon did, here's what Clinton did. And of course, he's been around long enough that they're not historical, you know, two thirds of the impeachments are his actual lived experiences. So, you know, he's, he's sort of able to, to say, okay, well, Clinton lied to a grand jury, you know, this wasn't the case with Trump and, and he, he's able to pull back a lot of that stuff and he didn't get, you know, it was a friendly ass crowd. And I think everyone probably assumed acquittal was like said a foregone conclusion. Um, and I, get the sense that pretty much people have moved on by now because like, no one really vocalized any feelings one way or the other.
0: Yeah, interesting. It uh, <clears throat> wasn't like some of his more, more uh, raucous town halls that we had. It would be interesting if he, he, he runs into one of those. Um, yeah, uh, no. Amy, you got some other news from uh, roughly your neck of the woods over there. Um, Uh, Kayla, and forgive me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, Kather, uh, a Northeast Iowa woman who ran unsuccessfully for the Iowa House in 2018, announced her intention to run again this fall. uh, For folks who may remember the name, assuming I pronounced it closely enough to jog people's memory, Uh, she was the candidate whose 2018 race was decided by just nine votes. Um, and that did not include 19 uncounted absentee ballots that were not properly marked. And there was a whole court challenge to that and actually went to a vote in the Iowa House and had to decide it. And they voted to not count those ballots. Uh, and so the so the election results stood. Um, Amy, if Democrats are going to win back a majority in the Iowa House, as we alluded to earlier in the podcast, uh, this is obviously a huge uh, pickup opportunity uh, possibility for them. Um, how confident did Kather uh, sound about uh, taking a second try at this?
1: Oh, yeah. And to record it was 29 uh, uncounted absentee ballots, which certainly Thank might you. have put her over the edge. But, but yeah, it, you know, the Democrats really only need four seats, I believe it is, in the House to, to flip it. So that's a really close margin. And I think... Uh, you know, I'm not sure exactly how confident she is. She is first out of the gate for the Democrats, and she's one of the first in the area uh, among Democrats to announce um, a run with, you know, the filing deadline of mid march So I think she's really hoping for, you know, that name recognition from the last go-round um, and the benefit of getting in early to really get her that nine votes more this year, Getting nine more people off the couch. She won't have to worry about, you know, the controversy of the post office failing to postmark ballots that was just really mind-boggling to me. I don't think a lot of people knew that, A, the post office doesn't have to postmark ballots, and, B, that that could literally decide a race. Um, and, and I think the fact that a Republican majority House panel you know, threw out her challenge seemed pretty unfair. So she's got a lot, I think, that she can really rally Democrats behind in terms of just her last performance, last go-around, and the fact that she's got name recognition.
0: Yeah, and we should note that uh, the state legislature acted on that, and they've uh, kind of clarified that law and and required um, a a certain kind of uh, stamp on those absentee ballots, so that shouldn't be an issue again. And at the very least, you mentioned all the other advantages uh, Kayla comes with with, in which she can also talk about the importance of absentee voting in her election with some very direct stand experience. All
1: right. Or maybe just go vote in person. That's yeah,
0: well, that too. Yeah, yeah, good, well, good call. All right, everyone, that's it for this week's edition of On Iowa Politics. Thank you all for listening. We hope it was worth your time. If you like the show, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Fan mail may be sent to Politics at gmail.com. As a reminder, you can find our work each week on the pages and websites, the Quad City Times, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, New City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal and Cedar Rapids Gazette. Item 9 and the Mad Hatters will play us out this week. If you know a talented band or Iowa musician who should be featured on our show, send us the sound file. For Brett, Amy, Todd, and our producer Stephen, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thanks again for listening.